0: Good morning. I'm glad that you guys are here this morning. And I'm excited to be picking up in week three of this series that we've been in Old Testament Jesus. I've really enjoyed listening to it, and I was really excited to get a chance to speak in a part of this series. And so this morning, we're going to be in Genesis 32. And this whole series, what we've been doing is we've been taking a look at times that we see Christ, Jesus Christ, appear in the Old Testament. A lot of us just equate him with the New Testament which is where he shows up explicitly, but there are times, because he's always existed, where we see him in the Old Testament. The first week we saw that encounter with a man named Isaiah. The next week we saw it with a man named Joshua. And this week we're going to be seeing this encounter with a man named Jacob. And and when I say that Jacob is an interesting character, I really mean it. And we're going to see that all together this morning. Because for us to really understand this encounter that we find in Genesis 32... The thing that we're going to have to do is go through just a little bit of history, maybe a couple hundred years together really quick. So hopefully you're ready for that. Buckle in. I wish I had flannel graph to help. That always helped me. Yes, some of you know what I'm talking about. If you've never experienced flannel graph, I'm really sorry. One day, I think we should use it. But we're going to go through a couple hundred years of history in the Old Testament, just in Genesis, to get us to where we're going. But it's really important that we do that so that we really understand this encounter that we're going to see. So... If we go way, way back to Genesis, towards the beginning, we see this man named Abraham. Abraham is Jacob's grandfather. Abraham is a man that God came to at one point and said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. You're going to have descendants more than the stars and the sand. And I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. You're going to be God's chosen people. And so God makes this promise, this covenant with Abraham. He says, pick up everything you've got and just start walking. I'll tell you where to stop. So Abraham lives this life of just following and trusting God. He has times where he fails and is weak. But at the end of it all, God, part of his covenant with him was, Abraham, you're going to have a son who's going to carry this promise on. And Abraham and Sarah had a little bit of trouble believing that. They were both very old at the time. Sarah was barren. But God made a promise, and they are going to listen. And so, Abraham has a son who's named Isaac. And Isaac is Jacob's father. Isaac is the second in line. Isaac is the fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham. And he begins to carry on the promise of making a great nation of descendants far beyond number that would be God's chosen people. Isaac marries a woman named Rebekah, And they have two sons named Jacob and Esau. Now, Jacob and Esau were twins I don't know if you know any twins. I knew some growing up, still do. And and they bicker and they fight. I knew a couple that really didn't get along that well. But I, I don't think I've ever quite heard anything like this. If we go to Genesis 25, it says this. The children struggled together within her. And she says, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve... The younger, Rebecca is pregnant and she's got these two boys inside of her They are fighting and wrestling to the point where she goes to God and said, please, like what is going on inside of me? And what God lets her know is that you've got two nations inside of you There's two boys that are going to go very different directions And things are going to be different because the older is going to serve the younger Which, if you know anything about history and culture, especially in biblical times like that The oldest son always carried the birthright and the blessing and carried the family name. And so it was very strange for him to say that to her, that the older was going to be serving the younger. But if we keep moving on in their story, Jacob and Esau's relationship was never great. When Esau was born, he was covered in red hair, the Bible says, which had to be weird to have like a mini Sasquatch. I'm sure Isaac and Rebecca found that just a little bit odd. But he grew up to be a woodsman, an outdoorsman, a hunter. He was very skilled. Not very smart, but very skilled. When it came to what he did outdoors Jacob was born and they said that he liked to dwell in tents He liked to stay inside He, he didn't really do the outdoors thing And it said that he was in love with and, and very close with And Rebecca the same, his mom He was a mama's boy They had a very tight, very close relationship So Jacob and Esau grow up together On two kind of different paths And, and their paths really cross, or cross and clash In Genesis 27 Isaac is now very old. Isaac, the Bible says, his eyes are dim. He can't see really well at all. And so Isaac decides it's time to bless my son Esau, the firstborn. There was a blessing he was going to give to Esau, and that blessing was going to be that he would have everything he needed, and nobody could curse him, and he would be protected, and ultimately he would carry on the promise that God gave their grandfather Abraham to make a great nation. So Isaac calls Esau in. Now Esau already had his birthright stolen by Jacob. Jacob was very cunning and crafty. When Jacob and Esau were born, the fight was so just intense that Esau comes out first and Jacob comes out holding on to Esau's heel. Like they were, they were that close and they wanted to be in, uh, ahead of each other that much. And so Esau comes out of the woods one day. He's starving. He doesn't think he's going to make it. And Jacob has some stew And he says I'll give you something to eat But you've got to give me your birthright Your inheritance And he tricks Esau into doing so But now Esau is going to get the blessing of the firstborn He's going to get the blessing that God intended For Isaac's firstborn son To carry on the promise And to carry on what God had promised Abraham That I'll make you a great nation My chosen people So Isaac tells Esau Go out in the woods Go hunt up that meat that I like Make it just the way I like it Bring it to me and I'll bless you and so he does that. He goes out and he begins to hunt. Well, Rebecca overhears this. And Rebecca decides, no, that's Jacob's blessing. So Rebecca and Jacob come up with a plan. Rebecca says, Jacob, go out and get two young goats, kill them and bring them to me. And, and Jacob is willing to go along with a plan. He just has a couple of questions real quick. He's like, mom, here's the thing. Esau's pretty hairy. You remember the whole Sasquatch thing at birth? Um, I'm airbrushed, so I don't have a lot of hair like him. I don't think, I know my dad can't see, but I think he can still feel and I don't know that we're going to get away with this. She says, just go get the goats. I will take care of it. So he brings the goats. She cooks them just the way Isaac likes it. She takes the skin of the goats with all the hair and puts it on Jacob's arms and on the back of his neck. And then she gets one of Esau's cloaks and she puts it on Jacob. And she says, take this to your father and go get the blessing. So Jacob enters in. And like I said, Isaac, he's up there, but he's not out of the game yet. And he's a little bit concerned. He's like, you sound like my son Jacob. I can't see but that's who you sound like And so Jacob comes closer and he touches his arms And he's like but you feel like my son Esau He's still a little bit curious though And Jacob says go ahead eat the meat And he's like this is exactly how I like it But but he says how did you do that so quickly How did you go hunt, kill it, cook it, all of that And, And Jacob makes up a lie on the spot He just says well God just blessed me He knew what was going on and he just brought it right to me And so then Jacob leans in and kind of passes the final test Isaac calls Jacob close. He's wearing Esau's cloak. So when Jacob pulls him in, or when Isaac pulls Jacob in, he smells Esau. And he said, surely you're my son Esau. And so he pours out the blessing of the firstborn on the secondborn son, Jacob. Jacob pulls it off and he gets the blessing that was rightfully deserved by his brother Esau. And this blessing, like I said, was an incredible, I, I don't know how we could even compare it to today. If you were going to inherit your dad's company and all of his money and all of the things that he had and, and your life was going to be set and your younger brother came in and took that you would probably be pretty upset Jacob takes the blessing and leaves Esau comes back and he is absolutely just torn apart he's wailing, he's crying he's yelling at his father don't you have another blessing for me that was mine don't you have anything left to bless me with he doesn't have his birth right now he doesn't have his blessing and so what he decides Esau says fine When my father dies, Jacob dies with him. Esau's going to take matters into his own hands. He's absolutely bent on revenge with anger and bitterness and jealousy, and so he's going to take Jacob out. So Jacob decides, and Rebekah decides to run. So Rebekah and Isaac tell Jacob, before he leaves, as he's beginning to flee his brother, they say, you cannot marry anybody outside of our people. And so they decide to send him to Rebekah's brother Laban. And they say, go find a wife there. Jacob leaves, he comes to a well, and this well had a huge stone cover over it, and it took all the shepherds at once to move this stone cover. So he comes to the well, and there's some shepherds there waiting for everybody else to get there so that they can water their sheep. And so Jacob begins to ask them, do you guys know who Laban is? I'm his nephew, do you know how I can find him? And, and as he's asking, this woman approaches that is a shepherdess, and it's Laban's daughter Rachel, and Jacob is done from the word go. That's who he wants. She's beautiful, and, and he runs to her. And he must have told her who he was because he says he kisses her on the cheek, and she didn't slap him, so he must have said, like, don't worry, like, I'm, I'm family, but we're going to get married, which I still find weird, but that's how it went back then. So he runs up to her, and he says, where's your father? She goes, and she brings Laban. They talk, and, and Jacob stays there. And it only takes a month for Jacob to decide, this is who I want to marry. I'm going to stay here, and, and, and I want to be with Rachel. And there's an interesting verse in Genesis 29:14. Laban is talking to Jacob, and he says this. He says, and, he, and Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month, and we'll get back to that in just a second. So Laban says there's a dowry that had to be paid. Jacob had to pay a price for Rachel. And so he says, you work for me for seven years, and she will be your wife. And the Bible says Jacob did it willingly, and he said it was like, you know, he had the love-struck eyes. It was like only a couple of days to him. He was so happy to work for her. So it comes time for Jacob to take his bride. He's worked for seven years now, and so all the customs back then, he gets into a tent, and Laban brings his daughter, but it's not Rachel, it's his older daughter, Leah, who the Bible says her eyes were dim. We don't quite know what that means, but she wasn't as good-looking by description of Jacob as Rachel. So Laban brings Leah, Leah and Jacob consummate a marriage. Jacob wakes up and finds out that wasn't quite who he expected to see in the morning. And he goes to Laban. Laban, what happened? He said, well, that's my oldest daughter. She had to get married first. Stay here another week. You can have Rachel if you work another seven years. And Jacob agrees. And so he works another seven years. In this point in time, Bible scholars believe that Laban had adopted Jacob. And so there was an inheritance that was now his because Laban didn't have sons. And so Jacob has this inheritance that now should be his. So, so Jacob decides it's time for him to go, and Laban doesn't quite think so. Long story short, he agrees to another six years of work to work for his inheritance. Twenty years. Twenty years Laban deceives and tricks and cheats Jacob into more and more work into keeping him with him. And it sounds pretty familiar, right? Genesis twenty nine fourteen. Surely you're of my bone and flesh. My sister helped you trick my brother-in-law. I'm tricking you into work. The apple didn't fall far from the tree. That trait of deception and cheating fell pretty close into that family line. And so Jacob is being taken advantage of by Laban. At the end of the 20th year, he decides he can't take it anymore. So he gathers up everything that's his. God had blessed him with all of these animals and all of these servants and with 11 children and his wives. and, And so he takes them and he flees in the middle of the night. And as Jacob runs, Laban decides that he is going to come and he's going to catch him. God comes to Laban and says, you're not going to do anything to him. And so Laban and Jacob come to an agreement. They build this altar of stones and it means, you don't go on my side, I won't go on your side. So now Jacob has a wall behind him where he can't go back. Now, as Jacob's heading towards the land of his father, he's reminded of something probably along the way. I don't know that he ever forgot, but there's this guy he knew. His name was Esau. They were a resemblance, probably some blood. And Esau was still probably pretty angry about losing everything that he had and everything that should have been his to Jacob. But Jacob can't turn back now. Jacob is heading towards Esau. And that's where we find ourselves, and that's where this encounter with Jesus that we're going to see this morning, that's where we get ourselves to in Genesis 32. Jacob is on the way back towards the land of his father. He's just left Laban behind and left all of the deception and all those things. He can't go back, and so here he comes. And so Jacob decides, and Jacob kind of approaches the situation like, like he always did. He kind of tries to use his wit and his charm and his deception and all of that To see if he can appease Esau. He at least wants to know how Esau feels. So at the beginning of 32, we're going to read together. 32 verses 3 through 8. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, thus your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you and there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and camels into two camps. Thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks Then the camp that is left will escape. So so Jacob's thinking, you know what? Let me just get a feel for how my brother feels. Twenty years later, that's enough time, right? So he sends out messengers, and, and he uses the tricks that he always did. He calls Esau his lord, my lord Esau, your servant Jacob. That wasn't the case. Esau served Jacob. Jacob had the birthright. Jacob stole the blessing. Esau had to serve Jacob now. And so Jacob is trying to use and He's trying to just get his brother in a good mood by just buttering him up, by saying, my Lord Esau, I have all of these gifts. I want to find favor in your sight. And so the messengers come back, and they say, yeah, your brother's coming. Oh, yeah, and 400 men with him. It seems pretty intense. It seems like Esau is still pretty bent on taking care of business when it comes to Jacob. Jacob is absolutely distressed. His brother Esau was a skilled hunter and outdoorsman. He could have killed Jacob with his bare hands by himself. But he's bringing 400 men, and Jacob's got to be thinking no, he wants it all. He wants to leave no doubt, no trace that his revenge would be paid on me, my family, everything that I have. And, And Jacob is terrified. He decides another plan. Uh, He decides to split everything he has in two Make one camp and then another I'm sure one camp was a little closer To where Esau would have been coming from And I'm sure Jacob wasn't staying in that one And so he's deciding, you know what I'm going to put a barrier between me and him If he attacks there first, I'll have time To run Jacob is just trying to fix All of this stuff Jacob is just trying to do what he can On his own And, And at one point he cries out to God And he says, God, I don't deserve your favor God, I don't deserve your blessing. I don't deserve your steadfastness, but will you please deliver me? But then when he says, Will you please deliver me, he switches gears right away and he begins trying on his own again. He devises a new plan and he decides, Here's what I'm going to do I'm going to divide all of my stuff up into three waves and I'm going to send it out one by one towards my brother Esau, and everyone's going to come to Esau and say, this is all for you, your servant Jacob sent this, he's waiting for you, I'm sorry, can I find favor in your sight? Not once, not twice, but three times, all of these animals and servants and all of this stuff. And this is where you and I can find ourselves in the story. This is where Jacob finds himself. If you and I, if you do not deal with the past at some point it will become your present. If you don't deal with your past, at some point it will become your present again. And this is what Jacob is realizing. He just tried to sweep it under the rug. He stole from his brother Esau. He deceived his father. He took a blessing that wasn't his. He took a birthright that wasn't his. And his choice was just to run. Just try and get far enough away. Just sweep it under the rug. He went to Laban. He let Laban take advantage of him for 20 years, which... And this is just my interpretation I'm thinking that Jacob probably felt like That was a little bit of retribution If If Laban take advantage of me That'll kind of make up for me Taking advantage of my brother and my father He worked hard He kept his nose to the ground He earned what he got He just thought if I do good things If I get far enough away I won't ever have to deal with it again And what Jacob found out is If you do not deal with your past Really deal with it Really seek forgiveness. Really seek absolution. Really seek to make right the wrongs from your past. At some point, it will become your present again. And Jacob is facing that right now. His present is coming with 400 men to meet him. What he did to his brother was about to be right back in front of him again. And you and I probably have similar stories. We have things in our past that I'm sure I know that I've experienced where I've just tried to sweep it under the rug, to run far enough away, to just get far enough away that I don't have to deal with it anymore. That's not how we deal with things. That's not how the past is truly reconciled. If the past is going to be reconciled, then we need something or someone to step in. If we're really truly going to reconcile the mistakes that we've made in the past, the things that we've done that we're trying to run from, and we need something or someone to step in. And Jacob finds himself just wrestling with this fear of Esau. Wrestling with a fear of his past is now coming and becoming his present, and it's probably going to be the end of his future. Jacob is absolutely beside himself, but, but here's the encounter that we're going to see this morning, and here's what we're going to see. When we wrestle with God, we find out who he is and who we are. When we wrestle with God, we find out who he is and who we are. The encounter that we're going to see this morning, it picks up in verse 22 of chapter 32. And we're going to read it together. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children, and he crossed the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across a the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. So Jacob decides, okay, I, he's tried all of this stuff on his own. He's tried to send his stuff. He's tried to flatter his brother. He's tried to do everything he could in his own power to try and fix it, to try and just put a Band-Aid over the problem, just to try and appease Esau enough to keep him from being angry and coming and seeking the revenge that, that he probably felt he deserved, and most of us probably wouldn't disagree. So he sends all of this, and he tries all of his best. He tried to be a good person, and he had all this stuff, And now he's alone. We don't know why he decides to be alone. We don't know if he thinks, you know what, I'm just going to face the music. If Esau comes, he's coming for me. If I'm alone, he'll just take me. We don't know if he's thinking it's a lot easier to run without hundreds of animals and kids and wives and servants. But what we do know is now Jacob is all alone facing his past by himself. Jacob is all alone wrestling with the fear of what he did to Esau and what that's going to mean for him now. The fact that his past is now caught up with his present. Let's keep reading in verse 24. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. So this wrestling match ensues. Somebody comes and meets Jacob. Now, in Jacob's head, it's probably easy to think that he may have thought Esau at first. Esau was on his way to find him. Maybe Esau realized Jacob wasn't with anybody, so he left his men and said, we're going to settle this, me and him. Jacob begins to engage in this wrestling match. It's dark outside, and it says they wrestle from night to day. All through the night until the day is about to break. And he's wrestling, and he's holding on to whoever he's wrestling with, and he's prevailing, and and the the person he's wrestling, wrestling with says, let me go. And Jacob says something. He says, not until you bless me. Here's what Jacob found out. In the midst of the night, in the midst of his wrestling, he found out he was wrestling with God. He found out he was wrestling with God because here's the thing. If Jacob was wrestling with Esau, he wouldn't ask for a blessing. Why? He already had it. He had already taken Esau's blessing. Esau had nothing to offer Jacob. There was nobody else on the planet that had the blessing of, you are going to carry on and be God's chosen people. You're going to be the father of a great nation that I promised your grandpa Abraham and your dad Isaac. Nobody had anything to offer him. No man could have given anything he wanted. So for Jacob to say, I will not let you go until you bless me, it meant he had to know something about who he was wrestling. He had to have figured something out, and he figures out it's God. If you go down to verse 30, it says, So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Jacob realizes in the wrestling that he is wrestling God. Now, we've been talking all series about Old Testament and Jesus. So how do we know this is Jesus? Well, Exodus says, and we said this in the past two weeks, we can't see God's face and survive. Our flesh, our sin, our flaw, we can't be in his presence in this state and survive. The only time we've ever seen God is when we see Jesus. Jesus. God's form of humanity that allows him to come to us. And so Jesus is here in this verse wrestling with Jacob. And Jacob says, I've seen God face to face. And when Jacob knows that he's with God, he's not going to let go until he blesses him. And here's why. Jacob has spent his whole life deceiving and cheating and lying and doing anything he could to get what he wanted And in this moment, Jacob realizes none of that is worth it. Jacob realizes the blessing that he stole doesn't happen without God. At this point in time, as Jacob's holding on to Jesus, and Jesus is saying, let me go, and he's saying, no, Jacob, his hip is out of place, and he's exhausted. But we know a lot about Jacob. We know that Jacob's very strong. Takes a pretty strong baby to hold on to the heel of another one coming out of the womb. It takes a pretty strong man to lift a, well, uh, lift a stone off a well, which we find out he did all by himself that normally took several shepherds to do. But he's also got endurance. He spent 20 years letting somebody take advantage of him waiting for his prize, the wife that he wanted to marry. Jacob's got strength and endurance and he is mustering up every bit of strength and endurance. The strength and endurance that he was using to try and appease Esau. The strength and endurance that he was using to try and fix things on his own. Now he has squarely placed it all towards not leaving that place without the blessing of God. And here's the blessing he wanted. He already had the blessing of being the next in line to carry on God's promise and covenant. He wanted to know that God would be with him. He didn't want to keep going without God. He didn't want to keep doing it on his own. He was not going to let go even though it hurt, even though God had wounded him and showed him, even though God had revealed himself, he did not want to let go. But you found out who God was in the wrestling. But man, here's the important part and don't miss this. We also find out who we are when we wrestle with God. So Jacob and God are wrestling, and it gets down to verse 27, and he says, What is your name? Can you imagine that scene? Like, Ugh, uh, hey, what's your name? Like, you don't ask that question while you're wrestling. You either find out beforehand, or you usually just don't wrestle people you don't know. Like, that's probably a rule that a lot of us would follow. But they're wrestling in the midst of this battle. They're tired. They've been wrestling all night long. Jacob's hip is out of place. And in the midst of all this, the question that God asked, the question that Jesus asked Jacob Outside of his question to bless him, what is your name? And he says, Jacob. Here's why Jesus asks him that question Jacob's name meant to grab onto one's heel. He got that at birth because he came out holding his brother's heel. It also means to cheat. Jesus is bringing to Jacob's mind, You are a cheater, you are a liar. You are a deceiver. You stole what was not yours. You ran away from the mess you made. You've lived your whole life off of lying, cheating, and stealing for things you did not deserve. As Jacob began to find out who God was, God wanted to make sure that Jacob knew who he was in light of that. Jesus wanted to make sure that Jacob knew God holy, God righteous, God all-knowing, God perfect. Jacob worthless. Jacob, cheater. Jacob, deceiver. Jacob, liar. Man, and here's my hope for you as you're sitting here this morning. My hope is that if you're wrestling with something right now like Jacob was, if you're wrestling your past, you're wrestling mistakes, you're holding on to things, you don't want to surrender because you don't know what will happen if you let go. My hope in this moment is that you hear God crying out from the pages of Scripture, what is your name. What is your name? When I hear him say that to me, what is your name? I see all the things that make me not worthy of God's love. Jesus wanted Jacob to feel the weight of that. He wanted him to remember one more time just how undeserving he was for all the blessing he had. Man, when we wrestle with God, we find out who he is, but we also have to find out who we are. And if we're really wrestling with God, he makes sure that we know. He makes sure that we find out. And and there's a reason for that. The reason that he makes sure that we know, the reason that he makes sure that we find out, it's simple, it's this. When we find out who God is in our wrestling, we find our new identity in him. Jacob, Did not deserve what was about to be said or what was about to happen to him. Verse 28. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob, the cheat, the liar, the one that stole everything he had, that did not deserve anything he got. Jesus answers and said, Your new name, you're no longer Jacob. No one will call you that anymore. No one's going to see that anymore. Your name is now Israel. Have you ever heard the name Israel before? That's the name of God's chosen people. Jacob didn't deserve that. Jacob had lied and cheated and stolen to get his way there. And yet when Jesus meets Jacob in the wrestling, when Jacob finds out who God really is and when he sees just how much he doesn't deserve the blessing that he's crying out for, for God to be with him, God says, no, I'm with you. And I'm going to carry out the promise and you're going to be somebody different now. It's the same thing for you and I. A lot of times we can look at the cross and we can think that just all of a sudden God mustered up all this grace and love and mercy for us. He had to do everything he could. He had to strive with every last drop to muster up enough love and grace for us to go to the cross. That's not true. The love and the grace that he poured out at the cross, it's the same love that's always existed in him for us. It's the same grace and mercy because we see it right here. Jacob had done nothing Nothing to deserve that. He had done the opposite of deserving that. And yet God pours out grace right there. He pours out mercy. He pours out love. He changes Jacob's name. He calls him something great. He says, I'm going to fulfill my promise in you. I'm going to keep my hand on you. But you're going to be somebody different because of it. For you and I in the room, if you're a believer sitting in the room right now, Jesus did that for us. You're sitting in the room with a new name. Your name is son or daughter of God. You no longer have the name that bears the shame of sin and darkness and the enemy of God. You are now a son or a daughter of God. Your new name, your new identity changes your direction to be a new person. The same thing he did for Jacob back then in the Old Testament, that same Jesus came and did the same thing for you and I. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We did the opposite of that. And yet God came and poured out His grace and mercy and love. Jesus poured it out at the cross so you and I could have a new name. If you're in the room and you don't know God, you came into this room struggling, wrestling with the past, wrestling with things that you thought, man, my prayer and hope is that this morning you've seen that God wants to intervene in the wrestling. God wants to wrestle that away from you. That was what he did with Jacob. He's wrestling with Jacob. Jacob starts with this wrestle of fear of his past and all the mistakes he had made. What Jesus comes and does, he doesn't wrestle Jacob just to prove his strength. He comes and what he does is he wrestles away all of the things Jacob was holding on to. All of the things that he wouldn't surrender. All of the mistakes that he had made. All of the past that he was trying to fix. Jesus wrestled it away and said, let me give you something new. It's the same thing he wants to do for you this morning. He wants to come into your life and give you something new. God loves you. He wants to wrestle away your past. He wants to intersect your life at this moment in time. And he wants to give you a new name. He wants to make you a son or a daughter of God. That's how good God is. That's how much he's always loved us. That's how much he's always had mercy towards us. That's how much he's always had grace for us. My prayer is that this morning we would ask ourselves a question, what are we wrestling with? What are we holding on to that we don't want to let go of? What can we let God wrestle away from us? question is, what is your name? What does your name mean in light of who God is? I I pray that we would leave like Jacob. He names that place, the place where I saw God face to face and I survived. This morning can be the place where you see God face to face and survive and know that he loves you and he's got a new name for you and he's got a new life for you, a new direction for you. You guys can bang your heads.